What a precious thing it is that we can worship in spirit and in truth and know that you hear us, you come among us as we prepare a habitation with our praises for you to dwell in, and that, Lord, wherever you are and whenever you show up, you always bring all your good things with you. And so, Lord, we know that healing is here because the healer is here. We know that blessings are here because the one who brings the blessings is here. And so help us tonight to see from your word that which we need to see. And help us, Lord, to hear what we need to hear by giving utterance in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. We're coming to the close, not tonight, but hopefully maybe next Wednesday we will conclude our many weeks of teachings from the Healing Scriptures card. These scriptures, front and back on this card, are available to you out there in the foyer. They're free of charge. And also these scriptures are available for download from our website. You can put it on your phone or whatever device you would like to do. And I encourage you to confess all these every day. Now, it'll take you a couple minutes, but not really that long. And I would encourage you to make it a part of your devotions every single day that you are speaking this, these words because we understand from the very first one, Proverbs 4, 20 through 22, that God's word is medicine. And so every time you're going over these, you're taking medicine. And this medicine is, has no ill side effects. You can't overdose. It is marvelous. And it works on everything. It's a cure-all. It really is. And so I would encourage you to begin using these. And um, you don't have to make a, a mad dash for it. But if you'll do it long enough, you'll find yourself remembering things that maybe you didn't ever remember before because these things will get imprinted in your spirit and they'll bless you. So what our purpose has been for now for a number of weeks is to go from the top down. And we did, and we're finally on the back page And we have gotten to James chapter 5, so you can see we're getting close to the end. James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, we're going to cover a few things from this particular passage, and one of the things I would like to do, and we do this sometimes and have done this with some of these scriptures, is to bring in some other verses that we don't necessarily confess every day, but they help us get the context of what we're reading and, and help us to see the setting that these verses are brought to us in. And so the 13th verse is what I want you to look at with me tonight which precedes, of course, the two we just read. But verse 13 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. And then the next verse says, Is any sick among you? So there is obviously in the mind of James, the writer, and in the Holy Spirit's inspiration to him and through him, there is a differentiation between sick and afflicted. And if you will look up the word afflicted, you'll find that that word actually means 
anyone who is, has trouble going through a test, going through a trial. <clears throat> I think sometimes, in certain church circles at least, we always think of affliction as being physical sickness and disease. And of course it can be, but it's not altogether that. Uh, if you're having mother-in-law trouble, that's an affliction. Maybe she's moved in for six months or something, I don't know. Uh, I had a wonderful mother-in-law, I'm just joking. But maybe you've got uh, other kinds of problems, maybe, maybe a financial mess that somehow or another has, has arrived in, uh, on your doorstep, so to speak. And uh, so this verse says that if you're having troubles, you need to pray. Now, we have prayer school here every week on Tuesdays. Very few Tuesdays we don't have it. Usually there must, there's a holiday or something like that or bad weather that keeps us from having it. But, uh, but most every Tuesday we have prayer school here at 11 a.m. And of course, people sometimes will send a prayer request. They'll email a prayer request. They'll call a prayer request in, something of that nature, you know. And then sometimes people come with a request that we pray over. And we're happy to do that. It's, it's a blessing to do that. But I want you to know that there comes a point in all of our spiritual lives when we need to grow up to the place of maturity where that there is at least the major portion of our praying that we can do on our own. Now that's not trying to shirk our responsibility as a church family or me as a pastor, for instance. But what I'm telling you is that you can't always get a hold of people. You know, in an immediate sense. You, you're not always maybe going to be able to, to get all the people on the subject that you want at that moment. And sometimes we need answers and we need them more quickly than we would uh, maybe otherwise need. And so my whole point is we just need to learn to pray. We need to learn to pray. There are various kinds of prayer that are listed in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible tells us that we are to pray uh, with all prayer, and that might be translated, if you've got a more modern translation of the Bible, it might say all manner of prayer or all kinds of prayer, and to also pray in the Spirit, which can mean, of course, and does mean praying in tongues, but it also can mean praying with your understanding uh, under the anointing. You're anointed to pray. <coughs> Excuse me. So we uh, we need to learn to pray <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. And we need, to, we need to understand when afflictions, troubles, trials, tests come, that the answer is not to complain. The answer is not to call somebody and tell somebody all the details. The answer is to pray. And pray powerfully, pray effectively, and pray according to the Word. And notice that the other uh, side of the coin is, is any merry, that's kind of like the opposite of an affliction, you're, you're merry or you're happy or joyful, he says, let him sing psalms. So, you know, it's, it's funny that people will, will ask other people to do their praying for them. But almost, I've never heard anybody yet in all these years, I've never had anybody yet in all these years come up to me before service and say, I'm so thrilled and I'm so happy, I'm so blessed, I'm so merry, I want you to sing for me. They don't do that, do they? You don't do that. I don't do that. 
So it's the same way. Uh, if, if, we're, if we're in a time of testing and trial and trouble, you need to pray. I need to pray. And if I am rejoicing, I need to do my own rejoicing. Praise the Lord. You might help me and you might join me both in prayer and in the rejoicing, but I need to be involved. The whole point is you can't just depend on other people. We're not babies, you know, little babies in the nursery. Nobody thinks a thing about them needing to be fed, needing to be bathed, needing to be clothed, needing to be taken care of in every little detail. Nobody thinks ill of that. That's just the nature of a baby. But if somebody's 43, we don't think that that's going to be a good thing, that they need to uh, somebody else to take care of every detail of their life. So we, we must grow up spiritually. Amen. And so then we get into the verses that's on our list. <clears throat> is any sick among you? Is there anybody sick among you? I wonder what kind of a question James would ask churches today. I mean, just think about this for a minute. He was asking this New Testament church, this Holy Ghost-filled group of people, is there anybody sick there? You know, you'd almost think that today in many churches, he would ask the question, is there anybody well there? Is there anybody that, that doesn't have this long uh, uh, description of pills and medications and all the other stuff that are, that are being taken and procedures that are being done? It's, it's amazing how things have changed. Because evidently, in James's day, there weren't that many sick Christians in those congregations. So he asked this question, is there any sick among you? And then he tells them, let them call. Let him, here it says, call. For the elders, that's the senior people, experienced leaders in the church, if you want to to, to, to make it more clear for something, a way we would understand it today, uh, an elder would be an older person usually, a senior person usually, but someone that is experienced as a leader. And so, of course, there could be somebody that's actually younger than someone else, but the younger person might be an elder in the spiritual sense. But there are no elders that aren't experienced in spiritual things. There's no such thing as an elder that just is a church boss. I'm not going to ask you if you've had any experience with church bosses. It's very unpleasant usually. People that just want to run everybody and run everything and control everything and fuss and gripe and carry on when it doesn't go to suit them. And particularly, they like to hire and fire pastors. All right, praise the Lord. But thank God we don't have a bunch of church bosses here. We do our best to let the Lord be the boss. Amen. I'm sure we're not perfect at it, but that's our goal. But notice it says that in a church there should be these experienced leaders. And they should be people of faith because the verse goes on to say that they need to pray the prayer of faith. So an elder would be someone who is a man or a woman of faith. Can you say amen? There's no elder that's a baby Christian. They may be. 80 years old. That's an elderly person. Unlike me who's in late midlife. I just keep on pointing every week I get that out somewhere. But um, that, may, that is an elder person. But that's not that your age does not necessarily make you a spiritual elder. 
You have to be an experienced leader and you have to be a person of faith. You have to know something about faith. Your faith has to, has to do some producing and some working. And so notice though that he says to let that sick person call for them. I, I want to point out a couple of things that may sound a little bit unlike what you've heard in the past. I don't know. But it needs to be said. Um, people came to Jesus for healing. Jesus didn't go around hunting people down. He went around the villages and, and the cities and villages teaching, preaching, and healing. But he didn't go from house to house trying to find people that he heard that had a problem. No, the people came to Jesus. And here in this passage, believers in the early church are told, as we are being told tonight through the scriptures, that if someone is sick, they need to call. Now, it would seem that this person is unable to uh, get to the church meeting. They may be able to get there, and that's where that anointing will take place and the prayer of faith will be prayed. But it could be that they're home and, and they're maybe bedfast or they're, as we say, shut in. And the, but the Bible says that they are to call. Now, I'm going to go off on a rabbit trail or two, three, four, five tonight, and uh, just, just say a few things that we need to say. But I, I do want to say this. I have, for many, many years, ministered healing and prayed for sick people, and I'm glad to do it. It's part of the ministry, and I, I love the flow of the Spirit, and I love for God to do marvelous things for people. But I have been many times called upon to go and visit people, and I've went. And when I got there, I realized they could care less whether I was there or not. And then on another level, some people, they, they were kind of glad you were there because, you know, they acknowledged that somebody thought of them and that you thought enough of them to come, but they weren't prepared to believe anything. I've been in places to visit with sick people, and I don't mean something minor. I mean, you're in the hospital, so it's obvious it's not just a minor thing. You're in the hospital. I've been in people that, uh, people's room to, to visit with them and try to minister to them, and they wouldn't even turn off the television. They wouldn't even turn off the television. And they are not going to, uh, you know, I'm surprised sometimes at how many people I've visited, and... Um, They've made no provision to feed their faith while they're in that bed. There's no phone, there's no iPad. Now, I know 40 years ago we didn't have those things. Uh, you know, a generation back it would have been maybe a cassette player or something, or a CD player. I, I'm just shocked at people uh, that have been taught that there's healing in the Word, but they don't have time, it seems, for the Word. The overwhelming silence <laughs> is so encouraging. Now, I know you're thinking, and I hope you don't think me unkind. I hope you don't think I'm harsh. I'm trying to help you. If you're under an attack, you need to go into attack mode. You need to pull out all the stops, and who cares what the staff of the facility thinks who cares what they think about you listening to the word of God I mean all kinds of people will lay there and watch 
reruns and all kinds of junk, and nobody thinks a thing about it. But if you were to have your phone laying on that little table thing at the beside of the bed, and somebody's preaching divine healing to you, you can be assured there are a lot of people would think that's a little strange. And that's a little extreme. But you see, we have that advantage today. I, I, I don't know how you think about these things, but I realize that we have more medicine and more medical facilities, and we know more about the human anatomy, and we know we have available and going on more medical procedures than any generation before us, but we still have more sick people than we've ever had. So what we have to do is take advantage of what we're blessed with in modern technology to make up for the difference. We eat foods that we don't even know what's in it, and I'm not saying that you just don't read the label, but if you've ever read any of those labels, there's, there's words on there that I can't pronounce and I sure don't know what it is. We're exposed to all kinds of things. I mean, think about this. This is the only generation on, on earth that, that now walks around and is exposed to as many types of, of signals in the air that we have. I mean, just think about it. There's AM radio signals, FM radio signals, there's cell phone signals, there's satellite signals, there's all, oh, there went one just now, you saw it? <laughs> now, all this stuff is constantly, constantly bombarding us. I don't know what that does, maybe nothing, I hope, but the point is no other generation has dealt with some of the stuff that we're dealing with. So there's, there is probably a need, wouldn't you agree, in this generation that we go a little extreme to feed our faith and a little extreme to believe God to make up for this crazy world that we're in. You know, you don't know what's in the pipes. You know, it looks like water, but, you know, you'd have to have a microscope and know what you're looking for to really know what's in it. Isn't that right, Michael? Aren't you glad if, if, you, if you get water from Michael's water place, I'm sure he takes good care of it, but I don't know about all the rest of them. I don't know them. And also, I don't live where I get his water, so that's bad enough. So I've got to use your faith. You know, the Bible says, now listen carefully, we've already covered it, 15th chapter of the book of Exodus, I think it is, the, or is it the 23rd? But anyway, the Lord will bless your bread and your water. Evidently, it needs blessed. Not just saying a blessing, we do that, yes, but it needs the blessing of the Lord upon it. So we're just, we're just talking about some things about healing. I told you this isn't really a, a, a traditional sermon series, but just some meditations from these scriptures that we're looking at. And so I was talking about calling for the elders. Some of you done forgot where we were. We're in that hospital room with the prices right on. And... <laughs> You know, the right price was uh, paid at Calvary, and that's what we need to be hearing about if you're sick enough to be in a hospital bed. But anyway, it says, let them call. And so I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that we don't go when we're led, and I'm not saying we don't go when we're asked to go, that's, that's what this is about. But I'm saying that when someone is sick, when someone's under attack, they have some responsibilities to reach out to God and to touch the anointing. You cannot force healing on someone that will not cooperate with the Holy Spirit. 
I want to say this. I just need to say this tonight because it's important. You're not going to get somebody healed that's determined they're dying. You're not going to hold people here if they've determined they're ready to go. Maybe they've lived their life out. Maybe they've lived a long life, a good life, and they're facing some things. And, you know, sometimes people just don't want to fight anymore. And if they know they're going to heaven, if they know they're right with God, and they determine it's time to go and I'm ready to go and I want to go, then you need to cooperate with them. Unless you can talk them out of dying. Now you might say this, well, you know, people don't have to be sick to die, and that's true. If people really want to go, they don't have to be sick and in bed and unconscious and all kinds of things wrong with them to go home. But I'm just saying that if you're dealing with someone in your life and they do not want to live, you're not going to hold them here. And so that's, these are some things we've got to know. And see, a lot of people, they think, well, if you preach healing and if you, you believe in divine healing and God is a big God and a miracle-working God, then, then all I've got to do is just uh, pray a little prayer and, and, and it doesn't matter what the other person believes. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they're expecting, that it's just going to happen anyway. And that's not how it works. You know, you hear people sometimes make these foolish statements. Well, if you believe in divine healing, why don't you go down and clean the hospital out? Why don't you go down and just empty the hospital? Well, you know, not everybody in the hospital is believing God for anything. I mean, just look around you tonight. If people really believed that there's healing in the Word, this place would be full. If people really believed that receiving the Word... And doing the word and practicing the word and being where the anointing of God flows would produce the supernatural in their lives, then they would be at the doors before they were even unlocked to get in. You say, how do you know that? Because they've done it in the past. They did it in Jesus' ministry. And they've done it even in modern times when people believe there's going to be a flow of the Spirit and something is available to them, they respond. Well, how do they get to that place where they will believe it? How do we convince our communities? How do we convince the area, the region where we live that this is available? Well, number one, you got to do what we're doing tonight. you got to teach it. And number two, you got to practice it. And then number three... When people receive and they testify, it encourages other people to come and receive as well. So let's get back to our verse. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Notice, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> now, this is one way for people to get healed. We know it's not the only way. We, can, we just read the New Testament and you'll find... This is one of a number of ways that people received healing. So the idea that this is the only way that people can be healed is not correct, but it is one way, and it's a workable way. Now, many years ago, uh, about 1926, I believe it was, so almost 100 years ago, there was a young Baptist minister by the name of P.C. Nelson who was a traditional Baptist minister. And, uh, of course, as you can imagine, in, in the 20s, cars were not 
as uh, abundant as they are now. And so in the city of Detroit, Michigan, he somehow got in front of a car and ended up being ran over. And his legs were mangled and and, uh, the doctors in that day did not expect that he was going to be able to keep his legs, that he would ever walk again. He was in a very dire situation. And so uh, he, let me say this about uh, Brother Nelson as well, and this is very unusual. Obviously, he was gifted this way, but he ended up, uh, over the years, he could write and read 32 different languages. He's got me beat by 32, really, pretty much, if you hear me talk very long. At least 31. And uh, so he was a linguist, but he was a, he was a preacher. So he knew this verse. And so he went to God, but he was really distraught because he said, Lord, I don't know anybody that does this. I don't, who would I call? I don't, he didn't know anybody that believed in this. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad to be, to be a pastor and, and none of your peers in the city and no, nobody you know even, even knows anything about this verse, much less any other kind of manifestation? It's really sad. And so he was, he was unhappy about that, of course, because he was thinking if, if somebody could come and anoint me with oil, you know, I could get healed. Well, some way, somehow, it got communicated to a Pentecostal couple. Now, you've you got to realize this was in the 20s. This was many, many years ago. And this couple came to him, and they anointed him with oil, and they prayed the prayer of faith, and God raised him up, and he lived his life out with both of his legs. He was able to walk. He was able to stand. God did a miracle. Well, uh, I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but he didn't remain a Baptist minister. He became a Pentecostal minister and actually wrote a book uh, called uh, uh, Bible Doctrines. I don't know if it's still in print today or not, but it, it was uh, published by the Assemblies of God Publishing House. And it was their kind of official book of their doctrinal beliefs. A former Baptist who got miraculously healed and filled with the Holy Ghost wrote the book of doctrine for the assemblies of God. I mean, only God could do something like that. And so he, uh, he, he uh, was one of the foremost scholars in Greek and in Hebrew in his day. And he was the one that made that statement. I've told you many, many times, even as we've studied this list, I've told you this, but I'll tell you again. He's the one that made that statement to those preachers many years ago, those assembly of God preachers. He said, always feed. He meant spiritual food, taking in the word. Always feed along the lines of faith and healing. No matter whatever else you're studying. And he was talking to ministers. You know, no matter what you're studying to preach or what you're trying to learn and, 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 and master, if you will, in the Bible, do- certain doctrines or knowledge. He said, always feed along the lines of faith and healing because sooner or later... You or somebody you love is going to need it. And if you've not fed yourself, your spirit man he was talking about, on these truths, you will be, he's talking about at the time when it's needed, 
If you haven't fed on it, you'll be at a disadvantage. And I've lived long enough and observed enough to see that is true. I've seen people in a place of desperation who did not really know how to, as we might say, how to even begin a faith journey to receive a miracle because they, didn't, they had not uh, fed themselves on the Word of God. There's all kinds of people that attend dead churches. Or churches, if they're not dead, they do not teach and preach the miraculous and the supernatural for today. Oh, they would, they would tell you, yes, God can. But saying someone can is not the same as saying they will, is it? You know, I, I've got a $20 bill in my pocket. I can give you a $20 bill. But unless I tell you I'm going to, you don't have a promise. And I'm not going to. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. Maybe I will. Who knows? But, uh, but I'm telling you that, that there's a lot of Christians are that way with God. They know he can. But they're not convinced he will. And they're looking at people they've known that didn't receive. They're looking at people they've known that maybe never even asked for it. They're looking at all the natural circumstances, all the people who died, all the people who stayed sick, all the people who, who you know, whatever problems they had, and they get their eyes off the Word. They don't look to God. They don't see what He says. And so, therefore, when they need to have faith, it ain't there. I know that's bad grammar, but you understand what I'm saying. Notice here that it, He says in this verse that the elders are to anoint them with oil, and of course, the anointing of oil, to anoint means to rub, smear, or pour. To, to, to rub like an ointment, to smear like lotion, or pour. You know, you ladies, if you put lotion on your hands today, you were technically anointing yourself. If you dab on perfume or cologne, you are anointing yourself. That's, it's a very simple thing. Here, it's, it is about anointing with oil. Now, some have uh, tried to convince folks that this is medicine, that this is a euphemism for physical medicine, you know, like prescriptions or, or some concoction, you know, uh, that will bring healing. That is not what's being said here. Because it's not the anointing with oil that produces the healing. It's right here in the verse. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The next verse says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. So it's not the anointing with oil. So why is the anointing there? Because it's an outward sign, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And particularly, someone who is in this position that James is referring to is a person who maybe is a carnal Christian, a baby Christian, they don't know how to receive for themselves. They're needing help and they're receiving. That doesn't mean they're always a baby, but in this case, they might have some problems because why would he mention if they've committed sins, they shall be forgiven him? See, a lot of times people, when it comes to healing, they get all messed up in their mind thinking, well, if I haven't been perfect, then God's not going to heal me. I mean, after all, I missed it last week. I missed it last month. I did this two years ago, five years ago. This has happened. That's happened. Well, you know, we've all been there. We all got that stuff. But he's saying, in essence, 
The same redemption, and we know this from studying these other scriptures we've already studied, the same redemption that bought our cleansing and redemption (coughs) from sin (coughs) is the same redemption that bought our healing. And so it's no different. You know, Jesus said, which is easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, take up your bed and walk. So he used um, divine healing and forgiveness in a connection because it was all based and is all based on the same price paid. It's all based on the blood of Jesus. We're not getting healed because we're so wonderful. We're not getting healed because we did a lot of penance. We're not getting healed because we think we deserve it. We're getting healed because of the blood of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. So, in this situation, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Amen. So we see this redemptive blessing that comes to pass. Now, let's move on to the next one. And I know you're thinking, my goodness, we've took so long with this one. We've taken so long. How would we get through the next one? Well, you're going to be surprised. You're going to be shocked. Third John, verse 2. Beloved, I wish, the old King James says, but if you've studied the word, you know that it also is translated pray. You might have a translation that uses the word prayer. It's totally appropriate. I prefer that if since... The uh, Greek word has these various meanings. Um, I like it, and I want to say a few words about it tonight because it's good to know this. He said, I pray above all things. This is a Holy Ghost-inspired prayer. That's one reason I want to emphasize it. John was writing, first, uh, third John, verse 2. John was writing, writing to believers, and he was writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the Holy Spirit would inspire him to write something that would confuse us? Do you think he would inspire us to write something about his prayer life that was totally wrong in the sight of God? That he would tell us about praying for something that he knew and God knows is not right and not the will of God. I submit to you, no, he would not have done that. The Holy Spirit is not going to do that. He's not the author of confusion. And so this is... Not only, it, not only was this inspired to be written, this epistle, but his prayer was something he was led or inspired to pray. Can you see that? Holy Ghost inspired prayer, I pray above all things. Notice the priorities, above everything else. Now notice he didn't say, I pray above all things that you never smoke another cigarette. I pray above all things that you'll never, ever say a bad word. I pray above all things, you know, that you'll always pay your bills on time. No, you know, all of that stuff is, is good. We don't want you cussing, drinking, smoking, chewing, going with the people that do it. We, we, we want you to pay your bills. We want all of, that's all good. But that's not what he says. He said, I pray above all things, number one, that you would prosper, and that's material, financial prosperity. Study it carefully. Don't just take my word for it. It's not talking about just having a better spiritual life, though that's important, but this is actually talking about money stuff, that you prosper, and number two, be in health. 
even as or just as you prosper soulishly, which is mentally, emotionally, intellectually. It has to do with prospering in your will and your decisions. In other words, here it would mean having a mindset of healing and longevity. How do you get that? By hearing the Word of God. By hearing it taught over and over again. Now I can tell you, most of the people in the world around us do not believe in that. Most people in many churches even, they don't believe in that. They believe some people just seem to be lucky. Some people seem to get all the breaks. Some people have good DNA. They've got good genes, as we say. And so, you know, they, they're, they're pretty healthy. They live long. They've got every natural reason that they can come up with for people prospering and being in health. And when you try with some of those folks, I've done it. I know what I'm talking about with some of those people. When you try to tell them that God will get involved with their health and God will get involved with their money, they'll get angry at you. They'll rebuke you. They'll dismiss you. They'll walk away from you because they just don't think God's that good. And that's really sad. But if you don't have the right mindset of who God is and what he's willing to do, you're not going to believe right. But we need a mindset or our soul needs to prosper, to put it in the words of this verse, in the area of healing, longevity, and prosperity. And as we do that, we will eliminate fear, doubt, and unbelief. You'll eliminate it. Fear, doubt, and unbelief. And I can tell you that if you want to walk in divine health, you're going to have to deal with fear and doubt and unbelief. You're going to have to learn to look the devil square in the eyes, the old saying goes, and not flinch in your confession, in your attitude, in your praise and thanksgiving, in your commitment to God. And when you are prepared to stand forever, as Wigglesworth used to say, it won't be long. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We've run out of time, Lord, but we certainly have, haven't run out of word. We haven't run out of truth. There's so many wonderful things that you have to say to us. We just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. And I thank you, Lord, for divine healing. We're not ashamed to preach it. We're not ashamed that we believe it. We believe in the supernatural. We're not here, Lord, just for motivational talks. We're not here just for social connections. We are here, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we're here to hear your word brought to us under the anointing so that we may be changed that this word will truly be for us medicine to all our flesh. Lord, I pray that you would take the things that have been said tonight, and Lord, you know exactly where each of us are spiritually and physically. And I pray that the things needed most would be retained and in the future be recalled so that we can be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And for this we ask in the name of Jesus. And I agree right now with my brothers and my sisters. Anybody who's in the room or anybody who's watching online, I come into agreement with them if they are sick, if they're in pain, 
if they're diseased, if the doctors have given them a report that is not good, one that is even hopeless or, or terminal or whatever the case may be, I come into agreement with them for divine healing. Lord, move in their bodies as only you can do supernaturally to fix what's wrong, to heal what hurts, to drive out all sickness and all disease. We serve notice upon you, Satan, to take your hands off God's property. We bind every spirit of death. We bind every spirit of infirmity. And we bind every spirit of fear. You will not touch us. We are in Christ. And the wicked one touches us not. And we declare and believe that as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. And Jesus isn't sick. Jesus isn't in pain and Jesus isn't tormented so we declare freedom in the name of Jesus liberty in the name of Jesus we declare the devil must take his hands off God's property in the name of Jesus we believe that every spirit of infirmity every spirit of fear every spirit of death we command it to leave in the name of Jesus we exercise our God-given right and authority by the blood of the Lamb and the Great Commission, we say. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of our bodies. He is our healer as well as our Savior and our deliverer. Receive that tonight in Jesus' name. Be saved, be healed, be delivered, and be set free. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah.